Together they will show how the skills of the gardener and the cook fed the nation during five long years of war. This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome back to This Is Our Everest, a podcast about watching old TV programmes, because they're there. Today's yes. action-packed episode deals with a little-known event called World War Two, and it is uh, the first episode of Wartime Kitchen and Garden the BBC series from 1993. Yes, this is the first thing we've come across that I hadn't heard of at all. I don't I don't think. Uh, I think everything Had you ever heard of Victorian kitchen garden? That was the precursor to this. No, but you know, I'm not that surprised by that. I mean, the thing is that I was what 21, 2021 20, when this came out. Victorian Kitchen Garden I'm only aware of from having uh, Googled it. And uh, I found that this was a follow-up to something else. And I hadn't seen that either. So, you know. You should watch it. It's good. Well. Or should you? Yeah, well, I hope it's better than this was. Because... You were not a fan of this. No, my last note written down says... It's just really boring, and I don't see the point in it. In its defence, right, this episode was episode one of eight and dealt with the phony war, essentially the period of time in between September 1939 and about May 1940, before things started to get a bit tasty Mm -hmm. war-wise. So, you know, it's... Designed to give you context, the other episodes that they had, the second episode deals with rationing, the third episode is uh, Battle of Britain, mm-hmm. fourth episode is Pig Clubs, fifth episode Hang on a bit. is what, what, Dealing what, With what, Auster- what, what? Pig Clubs. Pig Clubs. Pigs as in the pink animals with big ears. Yes. Clubs. Yeah. You know, a, a small community would get together to own a pig. Oh, right. Okay. And then eventually it would get killed. Right. And they stretched that out to 25 minutes, did they? Well, I mean, strictly speaking, I think that these ones on YouTube have been truncated for broadcast on a commercial channel. I, I think the original episodes were near a 30. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, but, that's, yeah. You know, that's, that, that's my assumption. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, as I say, episode five is Austerity in a Black Market and then uh, the Turning Tide of War D-Day and VE Day in future episodes. So, you know, not a lot is going to happen in this, but that was very much to the benefit of the participants in it. And I think it is correct to call them participants because it's a very interesting format for a programme. Yeah. You've got Harry Dodson who's the head gardener at Chilton Hall. Yeah. And Ruth Mott, who... Some woman. Is, uh, yeah, some woman. She, I think she used to be a domestic, and then she became, uh, like, a TV domestic. Okay, okay. One of the things that was very noticeable about the programme, actually, was the discrepancy in the amount of airtime they got. Um, old yeah. Harry Dodson 
was on for barely yeah. a few minutes. And throughout the entire programme, he told you, he showed you how to tie some onions together. Onions flourish in the warmer climate of France and Spain. They were an early casualty of the restrictions on imports. They quickly disappeared from the shops, but the country estates had always grown and stored their own onions. From now on, it's fairly straightforward. You want, as near as possible, a couple of onions the same size, and you wind the tops round like that. They, they need, really, about three inches of pretty same top. And then you just put them around, twist them like that. Those two didn't want to go quite where one wants them, and that often happens. But it, it comes right in the end. You want to keep, keep the rope going even. And the next ones will come so that they fill in that hole. Yeah, but again, because we're dealing with that period uh, of time where people were just getting their gardens ready, he didn't have quite so much to do. I think in other episodes he's a little bit more... Mm active okay um but yeah alongside ruth and harry Mm -hmm. who were both um you know you said that you were about 21 when this came out they were both about 21 when this came out this being world war ii so they'd already they'd they'd already been through this okay yeah yeah so they're allowed to indulge in a little bit of reminiscence about you know what it was like but then you get the actors mm-hmm. who are yeah. portraying an evacuated mum and her son Joyce and Paul yeah. from London and Annie the land army girl who is going to be assisting Harry yeah now these people it seems are under pain of some considerable uh, contractual lawsuit obligated to pretend that they are taking part in world war Two as it happens yeah i mean that that and that's kind of where it just collapses in on itself is that <laughs> it <laughs> it's what it's actually it's always been it's always been my favorite part of the program yeah it's that it the program itself can't decide what it wants to be you know, it can't decide whether it wants to be Harry Dodson's memoirs, some sort of weird enabling thing for Ruth Mott's PTSD, um, yep. or a wartime drama. You know, like I don't know, like fucking Darling Buds and May was set in the fifties, wasn't it? But you know what I mean. Foils War. Foils War, or something like that, or. Just a straight documentary about World War Two, and that's been done like a billion times over. So it's kind of falls between all of these stools, and it didn't really work at any of them. It was a very strange program, and it drifted through. And I, and and for the first time since I've been doing this, you know, I'm sure I'll be able to rectify it. I didn't really feel as if I had very much to say about it by the end. Uh, It is the least notes that I have taken for any programme that we've done so far. And some of that is, 
you know, some of those notes. I've just got Carter is Carter is just trying to get me riled up. <laughs> I've got written down here. Make room, I make thought, I mean, room for vegetables in capital letters. Well, that was the that was a good government campaign. It's obviously had its effect. Well, yeah, but I mean, the thing is that even when they were talking about that, they kind of launched straight into it, and it wasn't for about five minutes. They were like, "Oh yeah, by the way, um, <laughs> you know, they were they were recommending that people grew their own vegetables." First of all, it was like. Oh well, it was so sad that we had to throw all our flowers on the bonfire and this, that, and they keep going on, they keep going on, they keep going yeah. on. And they're like, I assume that this is so that he can turn his garden into a into a vegetable patch. I assume, but they haven't yeah. actually told me it, and it took them a while to get round to telling me that. No, I. Uh, well, you were quite right. That was exactly what he was doing. Yeah, but I mean, I see. I actually quite like this program. Oh, I I see its faults and its madnesses, but I embrace them. Mm. So, out of all the programs that I may have sent to rile you up, actually, this one wasn't one of them, and I shall remember that in future. Well, I I, I mean, I assume <laughs> you're just trying to get me to go off on one about the Second World War and about how people no 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 get no. weird this about isn't really. It's not really about the, the the Second World War as much as uh, it's, it's sort of like a home front look. Yeah. One thing I don't think is ever addressed in the series is why it was that Harry didn't seem to be in the army. Yeah. 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 Come on, Harry. Go on. Um, let's deal with some of the events of, of this particular programme. Um, we start off watching Ruth. She's dishing up a plate of what looks like a boiled girdle with a side of shit. Yes, yes. And then Chamberlain speaks on the wireless. Yep. And it's gr- it's grim news. Yeah. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. I don't really know how I felt because I'd never had anything to do with anything like that before so you sort of expected something drastic to happen almost immediately, I think. It didn't. Uh, I was out walking when the, it was given out and I went back to find my sister in tears over the sink because she remembered the 1418 war. So she wasn't very happy about things at all. Which is a shame because as Ruth and Harry both point out, it was such a nice day. Yes. How how people can declare war yeah. on a sunny oh, day. It was, on a, was it on a Sunday? Did they declare war on a Sunday? Yeah, that's a weird, way to de- yeah. a weird day to declare war, isn't it? Yeah, you would have thought there would be something in the Bible about yeah. that. So the phony war has begun. Naturally, first thing, first thing you do yeah. is dry some apple rings. Yeah, I know. This is like, you know, again, it's like... Why? Now I'm cutting this into 
about six or eight rings. This is a nice apple because it's soft and so it will dry out because that's the object of the manoeuvre and then we can keep these for the rest of the winter or quite a long time. We're going also to light a sulphur candle and turn the jar up over it so that it will fill with fumes and then that will stop the apple hopefully discolouring. They're bound to go a little bit brown because of the drying out process. Put the jar over the top. What are you going to do with these later? Well, actually, she answers that question right at the very end of it. And she says, you, you could make an apple puree. <laughs> yeah. And she says it really half-heartedly, as though she hasn't really thought through what she's actually going to be doing with these apple rings. Well, I mean, presumably they can be used for many of the things that apples are used for, but they'll be much, much more unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So isn't that you know? So apple puree all round. Apple puree. In is. fact, I think that there's um, there's a chance that these ones might be even more unpleasant than usual because to prevent them from browning, and obviously in the absence of uh, a lemon, which may not have been quite so easy to come by, mm. particularly during World War Two, mm. she puts the apples into a jar that she has trapped some fumes from a sulphur candle in. Now, who does not love the wholesome taste of sulphur? Yep. Well, they dried out in a low oven for six to eight hours, just in case anyone's following the recipe here. I just find the whole thing quite depressing, you know. That's quite good in a way. It should be depressing. Well, yeah, but... You know, they're never presented this way, are they? It's always presented as a simpler time, as a a better time. And it obviously, demonstrably, wasn't. Yeah, the people who present it like that, though, are almost always people who didn't have to live through it or lived through it in particularly pleasant circumstances. Well, yeah, I mean... Or are all of the above and idiots. Well, yeah, and I mean, one of my pet peeves is um, is 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 the fact that this deification and glorification of the Second World War has just gone into insane overdrive. And that has started since the people who actually lived through it started dying off. So as yeah. soon as the people who weren't there to correct you and go, actually, quite a lot of it was awful. Um, yeah. You know, they've got free reign to, to to make it sound like it was a, you know, Spitfire yeah. theme park or something. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, that, I mean, that is very true. When uh, You know, they spent most of the time being raped by Polish airmen and eating hedgehogs. Yeah, it, it's... It's you know you could have you could rely on those people to go well actually it's probably better now yeah now now but, now I'm not going to sleep in absolute terror in an Anderson yeah show. that a rocket is going to hit my house and destroy <laughs> it and kill me and or my family um <laughs> I, I I you know that that somebody should seek to or that people should seek to glorify that is. Almost beyond me, except it isn't, because 
I know fully well that it's a completely fabricated, you know, piece of um, sort of nationalist cover-up. It's it's. I think the way that I would describe it is that these people ruin my enjoyment of the Second World War. Um, Don't bust. No, I mean, I. uh, The thing is, the same as everybody else, I've seen the world at war. Um, You know, I've watched a few documentary series about the Nazis, and um, and I think a bad bunch of lads. A bad bunch of lads. Yeah, and and the thing is that I I kind of think well, okay, you know, I've done enough now, but no, it's like every single pebble about it has to be turned over and examined under an electron microscope and it's never ending you know yeah. it doesn't get any better it, and, and it doesn't get any more historically accurate either you know no. this idea that somehow these people this particular generation were particularly heroic well but yeah but I think programs like this do serve a certain purpose in that it's not so much about fetishizing it as trying to show what it was like uh, i think that harry particularly tends to look a lot more cheerful than he has any right to well, i'm not surprised um, seeing as harry didn't 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 have to go and fight <laughs> yeah he just spent his entire war learning how to tie onions yeah i mean we don't we don't know whether that's true or not we don't know whether he Presumably, actually, he wouldn't have been called up in 1939 because I don't think they did conscription immediately. Did you notice Harry's arms? Because they like built on. No, I did not. No, what? They uh, were... ju- I'm, I'm just hypnotised by the the colour and consistency of his biny old arms. Were they particularly? He was only leathery. Yeah, they were. They were like a. Crocodile handbag. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's... He, he was only 74 at the time. I mean, maybe he's got that thing, because they, they say that that's what happens when people have circulatory problems, isn't it? There was that picture of, um, was it Mitch McConnell, uh, that came out a couple of weeks ago, and his hands looked terrible. And there was all manner of speculation on social media on what that might be, and the most common... Uh, reply was that oh that's circulation he's he's got circulation issues they were like he's got b- bill tonging of the arms oh they, uh, no it wasn't his arms it was his hands oh. and it looked I don't know it, it just looked as if he'd replaced them with two haggises and uh, <laughs> so I mean it's entirely possible that that poor old Harry has got the same issue um, Joyce Joyce and Paul have arrived from London they've been evacuated. Yeah. I would like to deal with Ruth Mott's opening conversational gambit with the poor, displaced, I don't know how old, five-year-old child, Uh Paul. Yeah. Well, you'd best come in, hadn't you? Yeah. (laughs) He's having a shit day, Ruth. Can you cut him some slack? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose I should let you stay in my house. <laughs> well, I only found out relatively recently, I think since she died, actually, that my mum was evacuated during the Second World War, only for like a year or so. Uh, but she was evacuated to rural Oxfordshire somewhere. Um, and I didn't even know 
about that until after she died. She she never. Why was she only evacuated for I a year? I don't know. It wasn't for. for they said they sent her back. I think it might have been because. Um, <laughs> shut up. I think it might have been uh, because my granddad would, was was in like one of the last batches of conscripts because he was like okay. he was thirty five by the time he was conscripted or thirty four I think. And um, also, my my grandmother was pregnant with my uncle at the time. So, um, this, which is different from being pregnant by your uncle. Well, very, very. That's that's a yeah, whole other. Yeah, that considerably more likely to happen in rural wherever. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. There you go. There's a, no. Here's my fun my fun incest fact for the day. Um, <laughs> I read a, I read an article about incest in a newspaper many years ago, and it said oh, yeah. that actually uh, people always assume that incest is most prevalent in the countryside, and it's not. It's actually they found that upon researching it properly, that it's most res- uh, most prevalent in big cities, and in particular in on kind of council estates where people don't always necessarily know you know exactly who their parents are and there are relatives that you might not be aware are relatives and what have you uh, and that that they found has been a bigger issue for you've just explained yeah. the entire plot of eastenders there. yeah accidental 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 incest. with the gardens depleted of young men a new workforce filled the gap Volunteers of the Women's Land Army. Straight from typing pools and shop counters, the girls were interviewed, given a brief training, and sent wherever they were needed. This is the army. Oh, hello. Um, is this Children's Gardens? It is, yes. Oh, hello, I'm Annie Medlin. I'm pleased to meet you. you? I've been expecting you. Oh, good. If you put your bicycle there, I'll take you out into the gardens where your labours will be required. <laughs> All right. Annie? Has arrived. You, when you were watching this, sent a uh, a message to me, pondering exactly what was going on in this stupid program and and what Harry's role was. But were then placated by the fact that he'd had a woman delivered. Yeah, and that was Annie. Yeah, the Land Army. Yes. Girl. Well, yeah, she's a chattel, isn't she? She's um, she's basically his 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 property and he talks about her in exactly the same way that one would talk about a cow or perhaps a tractor <laughs> and i don't doubt that many many men found them extremely useful and uh, would have been very very hard pushed to have kept up with uh, the gathering of crops and that sort of thing uh, without the aid of the uh, Girls. You know, you can kind of, I'm almost surprised that he didn't just walk behind and kind of, you know, slap her really hard on the backside and go, oh well, this looks like a, this looks like a good little number. This all. Well, maybe just, that's what happened in real life. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty certain it was. That's the thing. That's the most concerning thing about it is that I'm almost certain that yeah. These land girls went out to the countryside and then found themselves having to live in a tent for three years or whatever. 
Yeah. Well, um, I mean, fending Harry... off over amorous, randy old countryside men. Harry uh, has got some personal experience of this because he's he, as he says in the program, his uncle had land girls come and work on his land. Yeah. And uh, I think he was very he was very magnanimous and complimentary when he said you know that one or two of them was some fucking use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but ensure that. You know, with enough of like sheep, with enough of them, you know, you you probably managed to get a good man's day's work out. That seemed to be Harry's viewpoint. With so many evacuees arriving in the country, accommodation for land girls was a serious problem. Many had to put up with crowded hostels, unsuitable bothies, and insanitary digs. Annie's lucky. She's billeted with a family in a nearby market town. It's interesting that you point out that some of them live in intense. The programme does point out that accommodation for land girls was at something of a premium and something of a problem. Mm. And that some land girls had to have some really rotten, horrible billets. Yeah. Whereas now, Annie... She's one of the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. She's been billeted with a, a family in town, and that, that that family even qualifies for an Anderson shelter because their house is near a way, railway line. My argument is: this is a television program. You can do whatever you like. Mm. It's not actually World War Two. It's nineteen ninety three. So, would it not have been more enlightening to say to Annie, "Oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to be sleeping in a drainage ditch with three trucks. Well, that would have been the more realistic thing to do. But like I say, you know, I have this... Um, a- anything like this, anything that's kind of got people acting to any extent, or even, a, you know, a lot of them now reminiscing about it, I, my automatic uh, default setting is I don't trust it. I don't trust this information. Uh, yeah. Whether it's being seen through rose-tinted lenses or whether it's being um, polished up to to avoid any uncomfortable truths. Uh, it's, mm. it's like when, when you get people talking about the Blitz and about how everybody rallied round and, all ha- and what have you, crime levels shot up during the Blitz. You know. Yeah, well, that was just the criminals rallying round, well, yes. bringing all of their special skills to the table. Yeah, you know, it's, they, it, crime levels be, became enormously high. There were all sorts of social problems during um, during the Blitz. Uh, people wouldn't adhere to blackouts. People would go True. straight to the black market, and I know there's going to be an episode about that. But um, there is. Well, you know, I ain't going to be watching it, and 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 so you know, when people do start talking about it, you know, I bless her, Ruth Mott. You know, I get it that the world is always a better place when you're younger, even if thousands of people are being killed every day, apparently. But I, I just, I felt, I felt as though she was having something troublesome enabled. And uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure entirely what, but so you think that this was actually all a massively immersive psychological experiment to try and make Ruth Mott feel better? Um, it would have been more interesting 
if it had been a sociological experiment to try and put her back into authentic World War II and let's see how she copes with it this time around. That would have been more interesting. Yeah, I suppose so. She's uh, been storing some eggs. That's she has. Uh, the last, her last uh, recipe or tip. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not really sure exactly what a water glass solution is. But that's... She stacks all the eggs up in a basket and places them in this bucket of something or other. Mm. Uh, I'm not quite sure how these eggs are going to keep. Uh, it seems to me... Well, my assumption would like be... Like a surefire recipe for an absolute stink bucket. Yeah, oh God, uh, yeah, it sounds disgusting. Uh, my guess would be that putting them in the water stops oxygen getting to them so quickly, uh, uh, yeah, which guess so. hastens the 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 aging process of the egg. Just get them all in you, I reckon. Put the put the eggs on the inside, and then your body will turn them into egg deposits for when your body most needs egg. Isn't that the way? It no, 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 nothing like um, it. Before we get on to our uh, usual assessment of of, of the episode, mm. uh, well, I mean, we could segue in quite neatly. Uh, my least favourite thing about this episode, and indeed all episodes of the wartime kitchen and garden, mm. is the song at the end, the closing title song. Okay. When we look back now to years gone by to a dark It's one of those honking, sappy, nostalgic songs which are so beloved of people who are idiots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of, oh, do you remember days gone by when everything was great and shit and you didn't need to lock your door but the bombs were raining down and they hadn't invented political correctness so you could say anything you like but everyone had polio and smallpox. And it goes on like that. <laughs> I wish so, I wish a song like that. Three minutes. I wish it did. I wish I, I wish those were the exact words. Well, that would be a great. My, song. I'd buy that. I've had I've had to listen to that song a number of times. I mean, I think I watched this program when it was first out, um, and so I've had to listen to that song eight times already in my life. Another now another one. Okay. Yeah. And I hate it. Okay. And I hate everything about it, and I hate everything it stands for. Okay. And I think anyone who likes it should be chemically castrated. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say put in a concentration camp for the authentic no, no, no. wartime experience. No, I think that, uh, you know, we've we've moved on. <laughs> we've moved on. <laughs> no, we haven't. Imagine, we haven't, Imagine though. if humanity... Had, 
had moved on. Yeah. Um, Most of humanity, most of humanity has. It's just this stupid little island that hasn't. Still obsesses over it. Fucking bunch of weirdos. Anyway, what were your favourite, least favourite and take home uh, moments from this iron horse of broadcasting? Historical broadcasting. I know how I know how to preserve an apple ring now. Bonus, yeah, absolutely. Probably good. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been drawing some crude sort of parallels, haven't they, between COVID nineteen pandemic and uh, the home front during World yeah, War Two. Yeah. Which I think, quite frankly, is a certain amount of bullshit. But at the same time, it is the sort of thing that that people have you know have maybe found themselves unable to get to the shops and get things delivered and have fresh stuff that they you know that they're accustomed to. So, who knows how many people have been drying their own apple rings in the last? Um, I don't. I don't think it's going to be many. I, I haven't. There haven't been apple no. shortages in the shops. My my kids get through a no. lot of apples, and at no That's point has there been apple shortages. What could you? What what easily available thing could you dry to use as toilet paper? That would be a real bark, bark. Yeah, bark. Yeah. Really thinly shaved. Get one of those Japanese no, even, planes. No, just 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 strip the bark off an oak tree. Give it to a puppy to bring over to you. That's true. For that authentic, and then and then, and then get get scrubbing with the puppy. With the puppy, yeah, because that'll be obviously cleaner. Yeah, I just gave up. I just gave up washing my ass. I'm brewing a casserole down there. Oh God, jeez. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> wiping wiping your ass was so 2019. Um, <laughs> what was your least favourite thing? Um, actually, was I had. I have actually. My favourite. You, you could say whatever you like about black people, and everyone had plague. <laughs> well. Actually, my favourite thing wasn't even the apple rings. My favourite thing is the fact that the um, uh, is that when when Neil Neville Chamberlain gave his "Here comes war" speech, the yeah the uh, end dog, the, the the narrator got the number of years wrong that it went on for. Oh, did he? Yeah, he said it was five. Oh no, mate, Whoa. it was six. Oh, yeah. Um... So, that's um, an unfortunate. I, yeah, that one, so that sli- that my, one slipped. That up. was that was my favourite thing because the guy who was the narrator yeah. uh, was also the guy who wrote it, who was also the guy who did the Victorian gardens thing. Uh, yeah, Today wasn't it his name? Yeah, uh, I don't know if it was Peter or something. Yeah, or Or Neville, Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, so him getting the number of years that the the war lasted for wrong was pretty good. Wow. Well, that's spectacularly mean spirited of you. Uh, I I approve. Least favourite thing was I can only really refer you back to what I said at the start of this August podcast, which is that it was kind of unclear at points. Uh, whether it was just like a reconstruction, a documentary, a kind of cookery show, it didn't really succeed at 
any of them. So that that kind of general sort of muddiness of purpose. I didn't really understand what they were, what they were trying to, you know, what they were actually mm. trying to achieve, what they were trying to get at. Yeah, it's, it's a strange. It's a number of strange choices. Tell it, tell it me how it actually was. Do you know what I mean? I don't want anything in soft fucking focus. You know, I don't need to feel better about it. It's something that happened more than three decades before I was born. You know, it it has no particular relevance upon my life right now. Apart from the people who keep on banging on about it. I've got an idea for a TV program called War Squad, right? And this is where people are, you know, nominated by their friends and family and it's sort of then kidnapped off the street, put in a put in a van and then forced to live a replica World War 2 for 6 years yeah. with Ruth Mott. That's what I want to see. So if if that, that evacuee was actually um, being forced to maybe confront the idea that somehow she'd gone back in time. And then Nicholas Lindhurst turned up and tried to seduce her, even. Uh, That's a TV show. You know fully well I've watched that. Yeah, of course you watch that. Everyone would watch War Squad. I'm just waiting on Nicholas Lindhurst to get back to me. (laughs) It should be a long time waiting. I think so. Uh, Anyway, there we go. Tomorrow? Yeah... Pebble Mill at 10, which is not as, as I thought. <laughs> Pebble Mill gone wild. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was like, yeah, I thought it was like the OTT to Tizwaz's sort of uh, daytime version. Yeah, no, this was a 10th anniversary program celebrating yes. a full, so it seems. a full decade of Pebble Mill at one. Horseshit. Anyway, it, that doesn't not... make you erect what's going to. I may have already given away what I thought of it. <laughs> but no, no spoilers. No spoilers. That's a, that's a spoiler. We'll be back again tomorrow. Pebble Mill at 10. You're welcome to join us, should you wish. It'll be lovely to see you. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye.